Hi, and welcome to another episode of ClearCast. I'm Caroline Degatti, editor at Clearance Jobs, and today I'm joined by Bill Niebuhr, Senior Manager of Enterprise Talent Sourcing and Innovation at Lockheed Martin. Bill has been recruiting in the cleared space for over 15 years. Now he leads the Enterprise Talent Sourcing Organization for Lockheed Martin, where he also curates their military and veteran hiring programs. Bill talked with Clearance Jobs about the challenges of recruiting in today's marketplace, the importance of data in hiring and retaining talent, and why he's optimistic about the future of cleared recruiting. With such a tight market and with candidates being more willing than ever to make a move, it seems like a lot of recruiters in the cleared space Coaching from other employers is is kind of the only option. Given that situation, do you feel like the stigma of job hopping is over? And if so, what does that mean for recruiters and companies in the, the cleared defense space? It's certainly not the factor it was in referring to the job hopping. We're seeing a lot of different patterns in the workforce and what different generations are demanding from their employers. Technical talent does come in a variety of backgrounds, so we're we're focusing on widening our net for technical talent, providing ways that can be career mobile in a large environment in the five business lines we have. I would agree that a lot of the talent pool that we do target in our active recruiting is working for a competitor. And we're actually seeing both within our company and competitors doing more to try to retain that talent using things like retention bonuses or looking at aggressive compensation to keep the talent. But to your question, the job hopping stigma is causing recruiters to ask a few more questions behind why people are making the moves they do. We've seen it as a generational thing, but we're also starting to see that trend reverse where the next generation of college grads are looking for something more long-term. It's been interesting to watch the trends. Apart from being more aggressive about compensation, are there any other ways that you have implemented to try to retain that talent? We've done a variety of different things with our compensation. Um, for one, we've we've implemented a new um, bonus structure across all experienced professional levels. All of our salaried employees are now part of a structured bonus plan tied to company and personal performance, which we saw that need in the market. So we recently implemented that just our first full year of doing it, and we expanded it down to our early career levels as well. We've done a couple of things to really increase the overall compensation, and we've also started to finalize some of the enhancements we made to our retirement plan. In our case, we actually match 10% on our retirement plan, 4% coming from a match on our 401k, and 6% into our retirement plan, regardless of what an employee puts in. So we are looking at sort of that total compensation package to try to keep folks here for the long term and, and really look at that total comp the employees are looking for these days. Lockheed Martin is doing some creative things in your hiring practices in order to keep your employees engaged, to keep them from getting that itch to move. How do employees move within the company and between contracts, and how is that helpful to Lockheed? It's a great question. So I've, I've been in the defense and aerospace recruiting business for 15 years. This is the, the fourth major contractor I've worked for and certainly now the largest. And what I've come to appreciate about Lockheed in particular, the fact that we are such a large prime as a $56 billion prime contractor, we have a lot of different programs that we can leverage technical talent on. And what that means for technical talent is we have these big matrixed engineering organizations that allow 
individuals to move across programs at different stages where they move from development into O&M and into sustainment, where we ramp up and ramp down. We're doing a much better job of managing our human capital and moving them around as we have the needs. Our, our need to move people off program or off contract where we don't have another opportunity for them is really not as big as other defense contractors I've worked for. So it really is a, a great translation for the employee that they'll get the opportunity to stay in the same department and the same leader and, and work on as many as four or five programs over the course of their career or a short span of time. And do you see that as you're recruiting or just your retention rates are rising because of that or that it's a big selling point for people who are applying or considering a job with Lockheed? I think it gives options. I have worked not only at the corporate level within Lockheed leading sourcing, but also leading one of our line of business recruiting organizations. And every business has a little different background. One of the businesses I came from, the average tenure of the engineering population was 26 years. But we are hiring a lot of new college graduates year over year, and it's in an increasing rate. So we are continuing to see our retention rates below the market rate. So that's been that's been phenomenal. But the competition is is definitely heating up. So we are, are always looking for ways to increase retention and make, make the job more meaningful, provide a more meaningful candidate employee experience. When you are trying to recruit, how are you selling the mission to candidates, not just the job, particularly for these young people who are just coming out of school? It's definitely a great challenge. We compete against non-traditional companies these days as well as our direct competitors. And let's face it, they do some cool stuff too. This is really the part of the job that I love. Lockheed Martin is viewed as a national asset. Companies over the last hundred years has contributed to things like developing GPS, putting landers on Mars, not just supersonic flight with things like the SR-71. One hypersonic flight is where we're going next, things that go Mach 5 plus, building stealth technology. So we really have all these things in the what's next category, artificial intelligence, autonomy, data science, cybersecurity, and even energy. So we've really pivoted from being just a national defense company to really a global security, getting into those other adjacent sectors. It's a pretty exciting time, and I think candidates and employees are, are both going to find that there's, there's a lot more to the company than just the traditional national defense work, but a lot of really cool technology-driven innovations that are happening happening every day here. Is there anything specifically that you're thinking about particularly exciting that you're allowed to share? I would say some of the really cool stuff we're doing in autonomy has been an area I've been really involved in lately. One of our key projects is developing helicopters that fly themselves. Autonomous, we have a test bed out of our Sikorsky organization where we can play around with different ways a helicopter can take off, hover, fly itself. And flying a rotary aircraft is extremely complex. And one of the cool things we've done to sort of hype the work around that is a program called Alpha Pilot, where we are inviting teams to compete. We're actually in the going into the four finals right now. We've got down to just a few teams of people that have signed up to compete in a drone race with the, in partnership with the Drone Racing League, where the challenge is to build a drone that will autonomously beat a series of other autonomously piloted drones that eventually try to compete against a human piloted drone. And the cool part is there's a, almost a, there's $2 million up for grabs with that competition. So it's really Lockheed not just trying to move chains forward with developing our own programs, but really sort of bettering the whole organization as well as the market and developing this technology. So, so those are one of the areas where I've been really excited about. You actually mentioned this before, the fact that you have implemented this new bonus program that makes uh, all Lockheed employees eligible for performance, both individual performance-based bonuses and company-based 
based bonuses. Can you tell me any more about that or, or what prompted that change? We just looked at it in the market and saw that both our market competitors as well as indirect competitors, some of the technology companies on the West Coast in Silicon Valley, we just looked at our engineers across all levels and our STEM talent as well as our core operations talent were being compensated. We really saw a need to go above and beyond just not being the total package of competitive salary, but that cash bonus really is something that is impactful to employees, something that they can tie to their performance and tie to company performance. We really did feel we rolled it out in phases where we were able to roll it out to mid and senior level staff, as well as this year rolling it out to our early career and early mid-level staff. So we're really excited about that and believe that that's going to really be a set of new standard for, for compensation because in our organization and as well as in the industry, compensation is just getting to be a hotter and hotter topic. So we wanted to make sure we were market competitive. As far as recruiting young people, college students, what are you doing specifically to recruit them early and also to begin the security clearance process early, especially since we know that that's time consuming? Are there any particular strategies that Lockheed has come up with to both attract that talent and to get them to a place where they are ready to work and cleared in a optimistic or in a perhaps better timeline? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, we have a tremendous university relations and recruiting team here that's spread across multiple organizations. And we have one of the highest hiring targets for early career in college for both interns and college new grads. We invest millions of dollars in recruitment in those areas, all the way from college and really getting down into even into the high school levels. We're finding that getting in front of these students and generating interest in STEM careers earlier and earlier is, is such a worthwhile investment. A couple of programs we've notably done is one of our business areas has a program called Invest in Me that actually helps offset some student loan debt over a period of several years. No obligation to the, to the employee other than just being employed and performing. And we've also done some really cool things with our campus events to include something we call the Space Challenge Box, which our space organization developed. Basically looks like about a 15-foot high cube that has a series of really complex mathematical equations you have to solve. And the closer you get to solving the equation inside the cube kind of provides sort of a rewarding experience and helps drive an opportunity opportunity for that winner to potentially receive an offer for employment from us. That's been a, a recognized and, and awarded project that we've had just in the last year. We've also invested about $12.2 million into STEM programs at all kinds of institutions from STEM-based high school programs. In addition, just recently with some of the tax cuts that many of the corporations received recently, we invested $50 million over five years into a STEM scholarship program that is aimed at underserved and underprivileged students. So roughly about $50 million over the five-year period will go to STEM-based students, recipients over that, that period of time. So we're really excited about that. To the questions around the clearances, we are thankfully starting to see processing times coming down, but we do benefit with college students because the earlier we can get offers to them, the longer time between them when they accept an offer with us and when we ultimately start them, they're completing their degree in their, their semester. It usually gives us ample time to at least obtain an interim clearance and hopefully beyond that. Early career students have been a great feeder pool for us to get our, our clearances, um, at least at the entry level secret and TS level, started as early as we can. That's really exciting. I especially like the the space challenge box. I would fail personally, but it's a really cool. <laughs> <You and me> <laughs> <both>. <laughs> okay, good. I'm I'm in good company then. 
again, we had spoken earlier about how to retain talent in this difficult marketplace. Sometimes retention can seem like it isn't the recruiter's problem. It's the, you know, it's the manager's problem. It's the rest of the company. Why should recruiters care not just that they're making the hire, but they're keeping the employee? And for recruiters who, who do understand the importance of retention, how do they work with their company to help retention rates after that recruiter's task in the process seems to have passed, right? How do recruiters make the rest of the company listen and act on it? Yeah, this is a great question because counterintuitively, you would think that the more attrition a company experiences, the more job security a recruiter might have, right? Because mm. you're constantly having to backfill people leaving. But the true reality is that if you hire quality people in an industry like ours, you're going to drive growth. Great people win contracts, win new work, expand existing work, and it's really a win-win situation. So we really do live in a data-driven reality in the last five years in my various recruiting roles. I've seen the, the rise and the prominence of being data-armed and data-aware as being really not just the new currency of the land, but really a requirement for recruiters to be able to operate with data. Where we're driving to in the not too distant future is not just looking at the hire, but looking at the sources of hire and starting to measure things like quality of hire. We're still trying to define what that is for Lockheed, but we do know it's something we do wanna measure. And if you think about the various standpoints where you bring talent in, there is plenty of research to substantiate that when you go out and you actively recruit talent or you look for passive talent, that's usually where some of our stronger candidates come from, as well as referral talent. So we really made a lot of investments recently on our referral programs in order to generate a lot of more quality hires. And we do believe that when you hire the quality people, then they kind of provide that maximum return. And also looking at the, the on-ramps for those people, looking at the types of roles where externally hired people might do the best, the types of roles we put them in, their maximum growth and performance pathway for when we bring them in, and not just taking a blanket approach to filling a hole when someone departs, whether it's retirement or moves to a new job. Sometimes we have to look at that pathway to the best way to bring in a new team member. So we do arm our recruiters with lots of data. They do have a lot of information about attrition rates, what our competitors are doing, what the market's doing, so they can really have those value-added conversations with candidates. It seems like Lockheed is under the impression that, very reasonably so, that salary is an important part of employee retention. Based on that data that you have, when it comes to salary and employee retention, how important is it? And do you know, is it keeping people in their place or is there a point where the money is not significant, where there's something that does supersede um, that higher paycheck? This is a great question and an age-old one for recruiters because in the recruiting realm, you know, compensation is king. So I, I think it will always be sort of in the top three, but I think it varies person to person. And we do take a sort of a total compensation look at that question, not just the salary, but benefits, paid time off, the other benefits that we look at that are wellness related as, as well as retirement. And we have a really strong retirement plan, but we also have to be market competitive with bonuses and salary. We have some non-traditional competitors, you know, the, the tech companies who heavily leverage a, a more mixed model of equity plus salary. So it really is looking at all those factors and, and knowing what we're able to do within a federal contracting space. We do have some limitations to provide that maximum return um, to not just the shareholder, but to the American taxpayer. But on the same token, uh, I do think that none of that really matters if you have a bad culture. Our drive is to make sure that as big of a company as we are, we're always evolving our culture and making our organization welcoming for the types of talent that we want to attract. 
and having a diverse workforce that's bringing all those talents to bear. So really arming leaders with those knobs to turn, if you will, on being able to make sure their organizations are, are properly compensated and fairly and aggressively compensated, but also knowing when you have to look at improving the culture and making sure you're doing the right things to create you know, an inclusive and a, a forward-thinking culture that's going to really give employees the opportunity to grow. The other great thing about being the size and scope of company we are, really at all levels within this company, there's lots of opportunity to give people growth and stretch assignments, and we have a lot of rotational programs. You can kind of have a day job and always be able to sign up to do something that's going to stretch or grow you, which I do think is employees of all levels and experiences are looking for in a job today. So let's say theoretically that compensation is the number one motivator. Do you have any guess as to what the number two motivator would be? Depending on who you ask, the two, the two sort of factors, runners up, if you will, are sort of that, and I think work-life balance is sort of a, a, a sort of a played out term. I think it's sort of that, that work-life integration. Balancing your work with your life is, is more like everybody has to have the, the role uh, that you're in and, you, and we all have, have family lives. So having a healthy way to integrate those two together and where your work and your home life are kind of both serving the same purpose to get you excited about coming to work every day, I think that's a big factor. I also think flexibility plays into that. And the other piece we've kind of talked about briefly as well is, it's just the mission. If your desire to change the world is, is aligned with the mission and core goals of the company you're working for, it helps you to make a lot of decisions and, and contribute in a way that is going to have the best impact for you as well as the company. And if those goals aren't aligned, then sometimes that's not always the right match. And, and that's okay on both sides of the coin. We want employees who are excited about our mission. We want the type of talent that's going to help us grow our work scope as well. Do you you find that when you are trying to recruit talent that they are being more aggressive in what they're asking for in compensation? And do you find that that is the top incentive that's causing folks to move? Or is there something else that you're seeing as being um, successful? Has the candidate mindset changed as to what they're asking for from recruiters? Yeah, I do think that the job market always ebbs and flows. And right now in the economy that we're in, some of the critical skills we're looking for actually have negative unemployment. And I kind of define that as if you make yourself an active candidate, you could actually have more jobs and job offers for, for yourself than there are candidates in the market. So, you know, the, kind of a buyer's market for candidates right now. So they are able to be aggressive with compensation. But at the same time, working in a federal space, we're not positioned to compete with startups and the types of companies who offer large amounts of equity and things like that. But we do have the ability to offer, you know, a long-term career that is fairly compensated and, and does provide a lot of long-term reward. And I think the pendulum is kind of swinging back that way. So a lot of it is just talking about that package of having a, a rewarding, stable career going to allow you progression and be able to work around some incredibly smart people doing some incredibly cool things. Why do you think that pendulum is swinging back towards folks perhaps wanting a more long-term career? Well, I think there were a lot of interesting press and articles out there about the gig economy and the desire to be sort of an independent contractor and the ability to write your own ticket. And I think there will always be an appeal for a certain kind of skill set. As various ages and stages and seasons of life come in and out, I do think it's, it's just innate in the American worker to want some stability in their career, to engage in some rewarding, exciting things to work on. While that sort of independent contractor mindset will continue to be prevalent in certain skill areas. I do think that the American workforce is not going to pivot to everybody being an independent contractor. I do think that the model of having the employer-employee relationship and people who want to build careers 
at companies will be here to stay. What I do think is going to shift that the the mindset will be that I can build a career for myself at a company, but if the company I'm working for isn't providing what I'm looking for, I might shift company to company, but still have the career and still work for an organization. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more security clearance news, insights, and information, please visit news.clearancejobs.com.